is taken from Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 23, and it can be found on page 1009 in the Church Bibles. 1009. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law, who had come from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother and Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. And he had left the crowd and entered the house his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Hey folks, um, good morning. My name's Scott. I'm one of the ministers. Could you keep your Bibles open to uh, page 1009, Mark chapter 7? It'll actually be even more important today now that our projector has got the new strain of Omicron virus. It's feeling a bit under the weather. Let's pray and we'll get straight to work. Heavenly Father God, thank you for your scriptures and uh, help us to give ourselves to them now. Amen. Each culture has got its own uh, quirky traditions, doesn't it? Uh, for example, in Spain, there's a tradition called La Tomatina. Now, I'm not sure that any of these photos are going to be visible. Um, it's a lot of people throwing tomatoes at each other. It's the world's biggest tomato fight. Some say that it started um, during a street parade in 1945 when those who weren't included in the parade started a brawl in the village square using tomatoes from a local vegetable stand as missiles. Who cares how it started? It looks like a lot of fun. There's always traditions around weddings. For example, there is a German tradition called Poltrabend. Again, um, you, know, you can't see anything there. It's a party the day before the bride and groom are due to wed where friends and family come over and they smash things at the front of their house like plates, flower pots, tiles, anything that makes a lot of noise in order to bring good luck. Once the dish breaking is all done... Uh, the bride and groom then work together to clean it up as preparation for the future. I just think it's great because they probably had nothing else to do the day before they were going to get married. Now, in Australia, we're not really rich in our traditions. Our traditions are a bit more low-key, aren't they? Uh, like watching cricket on Boxing Day. Um, lots of young people listen to uh, Triple J's hottest 100 songs on Australia Day. Um, students play pranks on teachers on muck-up day, but I think the most important Australian tradition happens every Saturday afternoon when men tell their spouses they're just going to whip up to Bunnings and then they spend the next 73 minutes going up and down the aisles, not finding what they went there for, then buying something completely unrelated which was on sale at the end of the aisle and then snagging a cheeky Bunnings sausage on the way out and genuinely believing that was the very best part of their week. Low-key, it's an Australian tradition. Now, in today's passage, Jesus comes face-to-face with a fact-finding mission of religious officials, and their dispute centres on traditions, Jewish religious traditions, uh, which was a common battleground between Jewish leaders and Jesus. But it actually ends with Jesus explaining what what it really means to be pure, clean, acceptable to God, and that's important to us all, regardless of our cultural background and the traditions we observe. You might have noticed that we've had to change the order around this week of the, of the scriptures that we're studying because Nathan is isolating at home with COVID. Next week, he'll be speaking on the feeding of the 5,000 from Mark 6. He was due to do that today. Um, so we've swapped those two weeks around and then we'll round out the term with two final messages. But today, Mark chapter 7, page 1009, we're thinking about traditions, purity, and what makes a person acceptable to God. Now, to give you a feel for how the passage works, it mentions three Jewish religious traditions which are pretty unfamiliar to us, and each of them has its own problem. Um, There's something to do with hand-washing in verses 1 to 8. There's something called Corban in verses 9 to 13, and then at the end there's something connected to food laws. And friends, we're going to need to do some homework on them so that we understand what's going on. Can I encourage you not to switch off, but to switch on? Sometimes you need to dig for gold. But also this passage involves three audiences. You might have noticed that um, if you look closely. Jewish religious leaders who've come from Jerusalem, from verse 1. 
crowds there from verse 14, and then the disciples whom Jesus calls dull in verse 17. So there's a fair bit going on, but it's centered around traditions, which can be good, they can be bad, they could be strange. Well, these Pharisees and teachers of the law from Jerusalem first have a grievance against Jesus in relation to um, a particular tradition, and they express their grievance via his disciples in verse 5. Effectively, they're saying, your disciples don't wash their hands before eating. Now, we've seen something similar to this happen already in Mark's Gospel in chapter 3. A religious posse from Jerusalem comes to check out Jesus uh, they pick a fight with him via his disciples about Jesus' adherence to Jewish stuff. Well, here again, Mark chapter 7. Your disciples have defiled, unwashed hands. That's a problem for us. Now, just so that we COVID-haunted people are clear about it, Mark helpfully tells us in verses 3 to 4, it's not about hygiene, right? It's not a habit. It's a religious ceremonial washing. It's a peculiar tradition they have about ritual purity. Now, I need to give you a little bit of helpful background info. The Old Testament teaching, which is sometimes called the Torah, um, or the Law of Moses, or even just the Law, or sometimes even just Moses, required priests to wash their hands and feet before entering the temple. That was the law, that was the command of God. But over the years, Jewish religious officials created a set of oral traditions around the kind of written commands of God that were intended to safeguard people from breaking the law right now you can understand you can see how something like that might start off as well-intentioned okay only the priests are required by God to wash their hands and then only before they enter the temple but if everybody does it and we do it all the time we sit down to eat it actually sort of expresses to God that we're all devoted to you not just the priests but all of us all the time so good intentions Good in theory, you go, oh, there's no way the priests are going to break the hand-washing rule if we're all doing it all the time. Besides, if it's good enough for the priests, it's good enough for the rest of us. And so you can see how they might have thought that. But in practice, these oral traditions that formed around the written commands of God became this kind of vast legal complex. And they kind of took over the focus of the commands of God. And we're going to see that in the next section. But the other very real threat is that keeping religious traditions is like keeping religious rules. It makes a perfect appeal to our sinful hearts because traditions often emphasize the outward, the external, uh, rather than the inward heart transformation. They provide us with an opportunity to just play a part, to act out a role, to pretend, which is the literal definition of hypocrite. And that's exactly what Jesus cracks the Pharisees and religious teachers for in verse 6. Read along with me in your Bibles there in verse 6. Isaiah the prophet was right, says Jesus, when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. See, friends, I can totally imagine that many religious traditions and religious observances start off with the best of intentions. They might be directed towards or motivated by loving obedience to God, but they easily become just another human tradition that emphasizes outward appearance rather than the motives of our heart. I guess God knows it is all too easy for us to honor Him with our lips, 
even while our hearts are miles away. So gently can I say to you this morning, if you're just playing church, if you're just kind of showing off your righteousness, you kind of right living because that's what this subculture expects of you, you might be in trouble because you might be a hypocrite. Now, of course, there's a sense in which we are all hypocrites, like every human, certainly every Christian, because we all believe that both ourselves and those around us should act in a way that we fail to live up to consistently, right? We're all hypocrites. Someone says, I don't like the church, it's full of hypocrites. You can just say, mate, there's plenty of room for you. You will slot right in. We're all hypocrites, every single human being. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that special kind of hypocrisy where we know we're just acting. We're pretending on the outside. And we're aware that there is business that needs to be done on the inside. And speaking personally, I've seen this happen in baptism ceremonies, especially with infant baptism, where parents bring along a little kid and they basically think this baptism ceremony, a religious tradition, can stand in the place of saving faith that they are meant to have, which the baptism ceremony is meant to symbolise. Equally possible to happen where you follow a a formal liturgy, where you can kind of say the words, but your heart is far from God. Of course, religious traditions don't need to be kind of formal rituals for hypocrisy to emerge. I mean, you can enthusiastically embrace something like singing, which is a great tradition. It's a practice endorsed by Scripture. But actually love singing about God way more than you love God himself. Very possible to do that. You can do it in your your personal devotions. You know, it's a a very helpful tradition to read your Bible every day. But if, if it becomes about growing in knowledge, especially if you can let other people know that you're growing in knowledge, but it doesn't soften your heart and grow your love from God, you know, you're in dangerous territory. I imagine that it's even possible in a place like St. Matthew's that has a rich tradition of serving the community to serve the community in God's name and be a million miles away from him in your heart. And isn't that the problem with rituals and traditions? They don't by themselves generate deep inward heart change. You can do the outward with a plum and you can have nothing going on inside. So that is the first problem of religious traditions. It's the potential for religious hypocrisy. A second and uh, related uh, problem of religious traditions is that they can take over and become more important than the actual commands of God. And this was certainly true with the Jewish oral traditions. They were meant to safeguard the law, God's commands, yet they took over the law. Keeping these traditions of the elders or these human traditions ultimately nullified the commands of God. Now, you might have to strain to see this. It might not work. But have you seen a picture of this woman? Can you? No, you can see nothing that's going on there. Visual gags really don't work. (laughs) There's a lady and um, she's walking into a a petrol station in Lexington, Kentucky. And she's wearing a a mask. It's got a big hole um, over the nose and the mouth. Yeah, it actually doesn't work explaining visual gags, does it? (laughs) Anyway, the guy in the register sees hundreds of customers a day. He instantly notices something's different about her mask. It's got a large hole here, um, leaving her mouth and nose exposed. And and so his name was Joe. He asks her, he says, where did you get that mask from? And she replies, well, since we've got to wear them, 
and uh, it makes it hard to breathe. She <laughs> just gestures like this, makes it a lot easier to breathe. And, and Joe kind of inserts the missing information. You mean like cutting it out? And the woman just kind of nods her head in kind of happy agreement. And um, you can't see the picture, but you, you can imagine the scenario. Kind of defeats the purpose, doesn't it? Well, once the things that were supposed to safeguard the law of God take over the law of God, you've got a defeats the purpose kind of situation, don't you? And this can so often happen with religious traditions. They can end up taking over God's word. They can distract from, they can nullify, they can even contradict God's commands. And to illustrate the particular way the Jewish religious rituals of his day did exactly that, Jesus takes them to task over the second religious tradition in the passage, something known as Corban there in verses 9 to 13. Now, just a bit of background. The tradition of Corban, anything dedicated to God, maybe you've dedicated some money to go to the temple, could no longer be used for ordinary things. You just weren't allowed to. Okay, It was off limits. So if you dedicated your wealth to God, then you could no longer give it to someone else, like your parents, for example, even if it was to pay for their medicines or their food or their welfare. Under this human tradition, the oath stands, right? It's in concrete, cannot be revoked. Even if you change your mind, even if your parents get sick, which means, if you think about it, such devotion to God effectively comes at the expense of caring for others, and it effectively means, well, it didn't come at your own expense. And so if you think about it, you go, why would God be pleased by this act of devotion, which now legally requires the neglect of others, especially those who are meant to be cared for by the person who's showing the devotion? Right? It just defeats the purpose, isn't it? So Corbin perfectly illustrates the problem of the traditions of men. Defeats the purpose if it distracts us from our duty to love others or encourages us to contradict God's laws. And that's why Jesus goes all kind of defcon in verse 9 and 13. Have, have a read in your Bibles. Oh, you have a fine way, he says, of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Verse 13, you, you nullify the word of God by your tradition, and you do many things like that. Ouch. Well, this brings us to the, the last of the traditions today. The discussion moves in Jesus' mind, uh, maybe in Mark's mind at least, from the whole kind of hand-washing human tradition to include the part of the Old Testament about what is ritually clean and unclean to eat defiled, undefiled, basically what makes you acceptable before God, what renders you unacceptable before God. Uh, you, I imagine you might know that in the law of Moses, Jews understood that some food was ritually clean and good to eat, and other food like the, the meat of pigs, camels, rabbits, prawns, bats, was ceremonially unclean for Jews to eat. Every honest Jew was familiar with these laws. But as Jesus shifts his focus from the Pharisees to the crowds there in verse 14, and ultimately to his dull disciples, he says, shockingly, in verse 18, now read this with me, verse 18, don't you see nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it does not go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean.
Another picture that you probably can't see. Let's have a look. Yep, useless. All right. Um, here's something you, don't, you, you know that I'm sure you're aware of this. Kids eat dirt, don't they? They eat dirt, they suck dirty thumbs, they eat soil, they make mud pies. Um, so do adults, apparently. That is, eat soil, not make mud pies. Um, apparently, we will scoff nearly three kilograms of dirt across our lifetime. Did you know that? Uh, which is okay because we'll eat over 33,000 kilograms of food, which is equal to about six elephants. That's only half a kilo of soil for each elephant. I think I can live with that kind of a ratio. You're probably also aware that despite appearances, soil is generally safe to eat. In fact, it's good for kids to eat because untreated soil contains gazillions of microbial bacteria that train your immune system to respond to real-life threats. So Dr. Jack Gilbert, who is a director of the Microbiome Centre at the University of Chicago, said, if you're healthy, it's extraordinarily unlikely that there's anything in soil that will make you sick. And then he adds, but there are no absolutes. <laughs> Good luck. So lesson for parents, maybe lesson for grandparents too. Let your kids eat dirt. Lesson for all of us, what goes into the mouth doesn't make the heart unclean. It's not what goes in from the outside that makes you unclean or defiled or unacceptable before God. And as shocking as this might have been for Jews, it's clear that food doesn't leave you morally stained because it goes into your belly and not into your heart. And so you think, well, that's great for us, right? That Jesus declares all foods clean. Although, let's stay off the bats, shall we? And it's great that the Jewish food rituals have served their purpose because all the ceremonial, all the purification laws pointed forward to a greater purifier who has come among us now, Jesus himself. However, we are all, regardless of our cultural, religious background, still left with the problem that Jesus addresses in verse 20. This is the most important verse for us to read together. Verse 20. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these come from inside and defile a person. You see, it's not only that the eating of certain foods can't make you unclean or undefiled, it works the other way around as well. Not eating certain foods doesn't make you clean or acceptable to God for the same reason, because the stuff just goes into your belly. It doesn't go into your heart. It's not the eating of a rabbit or a camel that makes you unclean. It's not the stuff that goes in your gob that defiles you. It's all the stuff that comes out of your heart that makes us defiled, clean, and unacceptable before God. I mean... Look at the list there in your Bibles. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. Friends, do you see yourself anywhere there? I see myself everywhere there. That's all over me. It's through me and then from out of me, and some of it will express itself in outward and external behavior. Some remains within our internal thought life, but it all comes from our heart. It all counts, 
And you have to admit that if we could only deal with it all just by not eating pig, it'd be far easier. Far easier to be able to go, I'll have that and that, but not that. Far easier than to deal with the inner workings of our heart and mind. Now, I I reckon Jesus is saying three important things to to us which are of great importance, great relevance to us all as we finish. Number one, I don't think I need to labour this, but we are all by nature in trouble because some of this stuff, maybe most of this stuff, comes out of us all. And, And if you cannot see any of that list in you, I might humbly suggest that you're either very proud, which by the way is in the list, arrogance, or entirely self-deceived. It describes us all and all too well. Number two, the way to deal with this is to not just try better, try harder, pull your socks up, just inwardly rather than outwardly like the Pharisees. That is not the answer. The answer is to recognize that the only one who can purify us, the only one who can make us clean and acceptable before God is the one speaking these words. In Mark chapter 7, it's the Lord Jesus himself. The only one who had a pure heart, the only one who lived a pure life, and then became a pure, perfect, and unblemished sacrifice for all of our impurities. The answer is to not try harder to be pure in our own strength, but to trust in the only pure one, Jesus And to be confident that if we trust in Him, we are covered by His purity, His perfection. And that's what makes us acceptable before God. We boast in Christ alone, His righteousness, and not our own. And yet, number three, because of His grace in forgiving our uncleanness, His grace in granting us his perfect righteousness, his grace in implanting his own Holy Spirit within us, we can now attend to the inner work in our lives and we ought to attend to it. If we remain soft-hearted rather than self-righteous, if we remain attentive to the commands of God and the nudges of the Holy Spirit, we can let him renovate our lives and he works on us from the inside out, from our hearts and minds that then express themselves in purer thoughts, purer words and purer actions so that our lives become characterized instead by good rather than evil thoughts, sexual faithfulness rather than immorality, kindness rather than murder and malice, generosity and contentment rather than greed and envy, and truthfulness, encouragement, humility and wisdom from the inside out. Only because Jesus' life and death and wonderful spirit are at work within us. And not so that we're just playing a role, pretending to look the goods, acting the part with fine-tuned perfection because that's what our friends or our church subculture expects of us, but because that's what Jesus is actually doing within us. And because we've got a softness of heart to listen to his words and a hardness of resolve to put him into practice. Well, friends, traditions are often quirky Um, sometimes they're good i mean who doesn't love a cheeky bunning sausage but religious traditions practices and even habits are awful if they lead us to just play a role 
or if they become more important than the word of God they're meant to support. And ultimately, they lack the power to generate true inward heart change. And they cannot save us from ourselves or make us acceptable to God. Only Jesus can do that. So we approach him with a a broken spirit and a soft heart, but also with a confidence that he has forgiven us and will enable us to live our lives wholeheartedly for him. Now, Andrew is now going to lead us in a time of repentance and confession before we uh, join together singing confidently of God's grace.